welcome to episode 32 of a Thai football podcast with me, Dale Farrington. And me, Rob Bernard. And I'm just going to say before we start, the final whistle has just gone in the Thailand-Uzbekistan AFC Asian Cup match and I have no idea of the score. I've been driving for the past three hours, avoided the score when I got home. So, Rob, it's down to you to either make me a happy man or a miserable man and set the tone for the rest of this podcast. So, in your own time, break it to me gently if it's bad news. We'll now go across to the classified results. AFC, Asian Cup, round of 16. Thailand 1, Uzbekistan 2. Ah. I'll stop myself from swearing then. You did well, mate. I could hear your frustration. Oh, that's disappointing. And um, by the way, just before we go on, I just want to say that classified football results voice was spot on, mate. Thank you. Thank you. I wish it had been a different scorer, I doubt. Yeah. We'll have have to get you doing more, though. Now I know what you're capable of. Okay, cheers. So, fair result. Yeah, yeah. The first half, honestly, I described it making me notes and on Twitter. You've watched plenty of non-league football in England. It was like watching a step three or four side playing the National League team. The difference in physical presence, speed and in and inventiveness was massive. They were hanging on for grim death. I don't know if you saw the news before the game, did you, of the team lineup? I've not seen anything. Like I said, I've been away for a few days and I was driving back while the match was on. So I've, I've completely out of the loop. I did see something about Madame Pang offering 40 billion baht or something ridiculous if they won which clearly now she can keep Poor billion it was and very unlike her to get involved in the action before a big game I must say at the weekend we entertained guests and we ended up going to an impromptu bull festival in Sisaket well I tell you now there was some price specimen there with smaller cojones than Ishii when I saw the team line up he left out Supernat Superchock and Boarding from the start and Boarding wasn't even on the bench. Did he give a reason? And only presumed Boarding was injured or he's fallen out. The theory on on Twitter was that he was holding it back, trying to keep it tight, and then bring on the big hitters in the second half, which he did. He brought the two of them on at half time. But the cast had been set, Dale. Yeah, it's it's never easy, is it, trying to pull things back? It's it's not a tactic that I'm fond of. I like to see teams go out and best start in eleven, play the game, have a game plan, and then obviously if you know if things are going as you want them to, that's that's when you make changes to improve or to counter the opposition. Or so yeah, it's it's not good. Yeah, disappointing to be honest. You can probably hear it in my voice. Thirty six minutes when Uzbek went ahead, a long crossfield pass, Tiraton asleep, forward collected it, finished it well past Patty who had a very good game again. The time going forward but they were just lacking that bit of pace and creativity Dale you know they were held off and then after half time they went for it and Superchock scored an absolutely beautiful goal from the edge of the box but it was always going to have to be something like that you know they weren't getting close in they weren't laying a hand on them Was that to make it 1-1? It was yeah yes two or three minutes after half time I thought the goal should go down to my wife who missed the first half and came in for the second Overall then what, what have been your impressions of the tournament I mean we kind of went into it not expecting that much but the performances have been pretty good I think haven't they? They have but it summed it up to me that's as far as they'll ever go and it's not because they're bad footballers they're just not big and strong enough Dale teams like that will just brush them aside ta 
time and time again. But they tried towards the end, but the amount of set pieces, and they were, they were giving away a footing advantage, you know, in the air. You can't do that. You're not going to beat teams, are you? Territon was shocking, by the way. Absolutely shocking tonight. I hope that's his last game. I think it's probably time, isn't it? Changing of the guard. If Ishii does stay, I mean, I think he'd only signed a contract, hadn't he, to cover this tournament. So if he does stay, I think we might see some big changes, some fresh blood brought in. I mean, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? Ishii had a free punch because he knows he can't lose. You know, he can walk away to another job. He could try anything he wanted. And I, I wonder if he was just trying to be a bit too smart tonight or if he, if he come to the same conclusion as most sane watchers that that's as good as they are. God, they miss Tyrus in some at Rottendale. They do. That guile, that creativity, that nous. Yeah, um, but he's around for much longer either, is he? Even if he gets fit again. What is he now, 35, 36? He is, but just play him in the hole for a while, you know. Give it give it a go in the World Cup qualifiers. There's absolutely nothing to lose now in those games. You know, yeah. you might as well go down and get spanked, haven't you, than playing bloody 10 men behind the ball. Honestly, it was like watching Cesar get that first half. Right, well, we've got to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves down. And we will do. We'll do your roving report now, Rob. So would you like to introduce it? Yeah, I had the pleasure at the weekend. I had some friends over and they brought me luck. Yeah, visiting from Scarborough. I hope Sean and Tracy enjoyed uh, Cesar Kett and the province as much as my wife and I did uh, showing them round. And they saw the best game of the season, uh, which ended in a 2-1 win for Cesar Kett United against Mon Lowe United. Rob's roving report. The match uh, in T3 North East has ended Cesar United 2, one Lower United 1. And what a difference a few weeks makes. And coach at uh, Cesar seems to have turned over a new leaf. I don't know whether he's taking something. He's had them defending like crazy. And to be fair, when the equaliser went in on Saturday... That was the first goal Cesar Kett United have conceded in 948 minutes. That is some record. But it appears that he's turned his uh, concentration to attack. I don't know whether it's because Marisara Kamba are pushing for the title, but this was a fantastic game of football. First half, both teams going from, for it from the start. Happy Det, an excellent diminutive midfielder for the visitors. Former Bury Ram United, he's been farmed out to a few clubs without making a first team appearance at the Giant Isan Club. He was very good. But a free header after 20 minutes on the back post from the reliable Panagazzi put the horse ahead. There could have been more chances and more goals. Panagazzi hit the post. Danilo was getting stuck in and making the most of his physique. He was up against a giant uh, defender, Makan Diawara for Monloe, having a fine game holding the big Brazilian up. After half time, it didn't take long for the substitute. Kamunchai, he'd only just come on two minutes later, he found space on the edge of the box, he was fed, and he shot low into the corner. Well, uh, Cesar Kett continued to go forward, they looked a bit dangerous on the break, did Wang Lowy. Could have gone either way, and there was worrying signs for the horse, when Panagazzi hobbled off with about 15 minutes to go. 
They continued to attack. To be fair to them, they gave everything. And begging, having a good game again, the new signing. It looked like it was all up. Some frenetic defending, keeping them at bay. Shots going narrowly over or being blocked. Then in stoppage time, Danilo turned inside in the area and bent an exquisite shot into the far top corner to send the crowd wild. A fantastic game of football. Everyone in the home section stayed behind to give one lawyer a standing ovation. They appreciate the football in Cesarquet. So that keeps them at the top of the table, but uh, with Maris Arakam's win on Sunday, winning 4-3 after being 4-0 up against Udon United, if Maris Arakam win the game in hand, they will overtake Cesarquet. Both teams got it. interesting fixtures on Wednesday afternoon. Cesarquet at home to Serene City. Maris Arakam travelled to Wilbon, which won't be easy. It's still all up for grabs in T3 Northeastern. The final score, 2-1 to Cesarquet United. Well, that sounds like you were royally entertained there, Rob. I was, and I tell you what, I love the team with guts. I thought that the chance had gone, you know, not that they played badly, but that you just wasn't falling for them. And then when Panagazzi had to go off, and I hope that isn't a long-term injury. I'm there I'm there on Wednesday uh, afternoon, so hopefully he's fit, but I doubt it. But they found a way. They found a way, and what a goal to win it. I was, honestly, I try not to get too involved because it's got a habit of letting you down. But I was out of my seat jumping around like a loon on Saturday, yeah. So what do you think's brought about this change of heart then and change of approach? Has, has he been listening to the podcast? I wouldn't have thought so. I, I, I'm not quite sure. The, the new guy, uh, the Cameroonian guy in Beggins, uh, an improvement. It's ever so strange. Danilo, when they drew nil nil at Ubon the other week, he stormed down the dressing room. His Brazilian mate was missing that game. So whether they've had a bit of a fallout and what have you off the pitch and, and an honest heart to heart, I don't know. But honestly, the, the improvement in entertainment value on Saturday was just incredible. It was a fantastic game to watch. I mean, my friends Tracy and Sean go to Terror whenever they're in Thailand and, and they said, I wish it was like that every week there. Hi. My name is Isaac, and I'm listening to a Thai football podcast. Okay, we're going to move up a division now, and we've got a report from T2, one of the surprise results of the weekend when High Flyers Nakon Ratchasima were held by bottom of the table Krabby, and Swapcat fan Mark Loveridge has sent us in this report. He was watching on the, the internet somehow, and this is his report from the weekend. Thai Hi Dale, here's today's match report for Krabby versus Swatcat down at Krabby. The first half was an absolutely fantastic half. We scored two goals, one from Crampen in the 12th minute and Severio in the 22nd minute. But Swatcat being Swatcat, they <laughs> let one in in the 29th minute with um, a chap called Pungu. We just fell apart then really after that. In the second half, it was all Krabby. i got to say, they're a good side, Krabby. They defended well, they played outplayed us even though the pitch was like a play field. And their second goal in the 84th minute by Wissep Bambung Chiron. What a worldie. I on the D, hit it on the volley. Our keeper had no chance. One thing I'd like to add to that is we flew in with AirAsia. I know they're a partner of ours, but it must have cost the club £2,000. So I feel sorry for Krabby because they've got to fly in every time and it must cost them about the same. So I can see, I understand why they're bottom because they've got no money. It's a great little club though, apart from the pitch. And the one thing I will add, at the end of the game, all the Krabby players lined up in front of the Joe manager and all wired him. I thought that was a nice little touch. Anyway, here's my report for today's game. 
Thanks, everybody. Cheers. So there you go. That's Mark. Feeling a bit crabby, actually, with his team dropping points there. I'm not sure whether Mark's uh, voice had gone shouting at the at the screen or he's been to a Barry White tribute gig. But all credit to Crabby. And, and he makes oh, a good point, doesn't he, about travel costs? Funny enough, it's the one game I've seen when I went to Crabby was against Karat. It absolutely bounced down, but uh, it was a Saturday evening and they were determined to play it, you know what I mean, with the travel costs. So what's, what's the stadium like? It's somewhere, in fact, I've never been to Crabby, I've never visited the island and so obviously never been to the football ground. What's it, what's it like down there? I would recommend it for a stay. There's there's the sort of Western resort where most people emanate to, but Crabby Town itself is very charming. The football stadium's halfway between the airport and the town. It's quite a bog-standard municipal stadium, you know, a bit of extra terracing around the curve at the top end. I found it really nice. It, it was straight, I did a lovely trip there, yeah. I got I got caught in a thunderstorm on the top of Tiger Mount. Managed to buy a club shirt so I could get changed. I got a lift from a fan back into town in the back of a, an open truck and the, the players came in the bar where I went after the game and then to round it off, I was I was flying back the next day and going to head to uh, Summit's on cram for a game and I was sat next to the ref and two linesmen on the flight. So, I, yeah, I've got fun memories of Crabby. Oh, that's brilliant. The, the real Thai football experience, that, isn't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. This is Clinton and you're listening to a Thai football podcast. Next up. We've got a great interview. I think you're going to enjoy this. I sat down with Stephen Romery. Now, many of you will know Stephen. He works for Mung Tong, as he will explain during the course of our chat. And we covered all sorts, really. What he does at the club, how the club are trying to turn things around, how he sees Thai football developing in the future, what we've got right, what we've got wrong. So just sit back and listen to this lovely interview. Me and Stephen chatting about mainly Mung Tong, but covering a lot of Thai football as well. Thai football podcast. So, welcome along to the podcast, Stephen. It's great to have you on. Well, thanks very much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So, sure. before we start, can we just clear up a little bit about you? What do you do? What's your role at Mung Tong United? I work with Mung Tong, as, as you know. Um, I mainly do their media work. I, I produce all the English content that goes out on their social media, whether that be Twitter or now it's X, Facebook, uh, their website, what have you. So, And then I manage any kind of English content that they might need, whether it's translating a letter, whatever it might be. So that's essentially what I do, yes. It's quite an important role then. Well, yeah, and uh, it kind of came about because I was a fan of the club, first off, and I had found it really hard, this is going back Back to about 2014 uh, to like just get basic information about the club like when were the games where were the games and how do you buy tickets so I uh, was able to approach club and say look um, we need to put this out in English we might might be good for the club and he said sure go for it and that's what happened that seemed quite straightforward then. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, yeah. And yeah. then the, the role has just kind of evolved and grown and grown ever since. And so I'm kind of lucky because I get to be a fan of the club, but I also get to kind of peek under the hood and see how things work at the same time. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a nice position to be in. Do you have free reign to put whatever you like out on there or is it closely monitored? Right. No, very limited reign. I, I have to more or less follow what they, they put out in, in Thai and, and I kind of create an English version of that. If I want to create something unique of my own, I'll have to run it by them first. And most of the time, 
it doesn't go through because they really want to keep a very strict control over the message that's been put out. You know, if I wanted to put out what I wanted to put out, it would probably look a little bit different. But what are you going to do? I mean, it's, it's good yeah. that the, they give you the opportunity anyway. I, I think more clubs should do this. And I'm, I'm surprised now that that doesn't happen. There are, there are very few clubs that have any English content. Why, yeah. why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because uh, the back end, I mean, Mungtong is is run through CM Sport, which is itself a media company. So the the people who are in the management of Mungtong are also in, you know, have a dual role and they do things with CM Sport and they know the importance of media and communication. So that's, I think, part of the reason why they were very open to, you know, even opening up a Facebook page in the first place. And uh, having a website and having a Twitter feed or X and so forth. It was part of what they already did. So it made sense to them to do it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's perfect sense. And there's a huge market out there, isn't there? As we know from doing this podcast, and obviously I've I've done websites and blogs in the past. So I know that there's there's this huge swathe of foreigners who, who don't necessarily speak Thai or read Thai who, who want information. I find it baffling that clubs don't do it. I really do. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of work and I'm sure that every single club has someone like you, a fan who's willing to give up a bit of time in order to get the word out there. What would you say to other clubs to encourage them to, to go down that route? Exactly. I would I would encourage them just to, to look to their fan base and, and, and ask. And for, like you said, there will be somebody who will be willing to, to do that work, you know, paid or unpaid there would be fans who would be just happy to do it because they believe in it and that's the passion and uh and but and you know to their credit other clubs have started to do this i if, if you notice like bangkok united now has more english content coming out bg puts out more english content now so other clubs are starting to to follow but uh it's just not it's not the, the normal practice but but i agree with you i think there's a passionate following for thai football across the country amongst the foreigner fans and there would be people like me who would be just happy to do that just for their own you know peace of mind and just because they know it would be good for the club that's it and as we know wheels turn very slowly at times don't they with things like this they certainly do and sometimes they go in the opposite direction so it does take patience just touching on Mung Tong United still considered to be one of the big clubs in the country not having the best of times this season what do you think the reason for that is and how do you think you can turn things around I think Mung Tong are looking at their youth development and they're they're bringing players forward um and i think mung tong has the largest number of u23 players on the first team squad and i think that's going to be the way forward it's one of the things that mung tong is really focused on is bringing the academy players up into the first team and that's one of the things i like about the club is that they do have that model and that's what they they believe in and, and they live by it they actually do it so if you look at our first team you can you can see a handful of uh, academy players who who are there have this idea so i think that's that's one of the ways things are going to turn around but I also think too that it, part of it is just it, it it comes down to dollars and cents and money and you have to have you have to be able to spend the money to 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 make this work and we lost uh, we lost our title sponsor a few seasons back when SCG pulled out and that was devastating and so we've been rebuilding since then and trying to maintain a lot of the things we had uh, on a, on a very tight budget so it's difficult. It's certainly good when you see these things and it's good for the future of the game. It's good for the future of the clubs. 
It's just having that patience, isn't it? We had Grant on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about academies and schools. And one of the things that cropped up was the fact that things have to be instant. And so just having the patience to to develop these players and with an eye on the future, I think is, mm-hmm. is something that's, that is quite important, isn't it? I mean, in, in the long term, it will save them money because they'll be developing these players themselves yeah. and it'll benefit the national team as well. Exactly right. And... And I think uh, Grant had it right when he said that things are changing a little bit and academies are becoming a little bit more important than they used to be. It used to be that you would find your golden players at at the big Bangkok schools, but that's starting to change a little bit and academies are starting to find talent and develop that talent. And so the, the, the model is changing a little bit. So those clubs who have put in place strong academy systems will, I think, do well down the road. Let's hope so. I mean, the, the league's... Yeah come on in so many ways over the past 10 15 20 years hasn't it i mean when when I you first started yeah. watching what what were your impressions of of the thai league and how how did you like to think it would develop and what what yes. improvements have you seen like i said i was watching and a fan since about 2014 but i know there are others out there who've been following thai football a lot longer than me and, and i'm pretty sure they'll say tremendous improvement over you know since then and and so the, do have to give some credit to to the people who've made that happen i remember when i got involved i asked my thai friends about thai football and they just kind of rolled their eyes and kind of suggested why would you waste your time but i thought i'd give it a go and i started going to the mungtong games and they were fun they it was exciting and and uh, it's rare that you could get you know into a stadium where you could be so close to the pitch and really enjoy the game and i and i did enjoy the games and i just kept going and and i do like to see that uh, since since i got involved things have improved. You can find all the fixtures on the Thai League website. That was unheard of before. Um, I think refereeing has taken, though some might disagree, but I think refereeing has improved significantly. Um, Not so much because of VAR, but there was an attempt to actually train up referees and give them the skills that they needed to do well. And and, uh, we have, you know, one of our referees in the Thai League is now at the AFC, uh, AFC Cup refereeing games. So there's quality there in the referees as well. So I think there have been some improvements in these kinds of areas. Stadiums, I think, have gotten better. And just the communication side of things has gotten better. Got to say that there has been some good improvement over the years. I would certainly agree with that. And one yeah. thing that always crops up is the attendances. Uh, now, it's it's a difficult one for me because when I started going to watch Thai football, if you got into three figures, you were quite lucky. So even having the conversation about attendances at that time would have seemed impossible. But right. obviously, we, we had that boom in 2009 when yeah. crowds started flocking to games. And obviously, when... When people come to Thai football, as you said yourself, as you said yourself, you came into it 2014. So your expectations were probably slightly different. And I see the comments on social media from people talking about crowds and and even yeah. to have crowds of three, four, five thousand 20 years ago would have seemed yeah. impossible. Do you think we've plateaued or do you think we can do more to attract more fans to the stadiums on match days. We've already talked about the the dormant foreign population who, who could be attracted with more English content. But what about locals as well? The attendance figures, like you said, were from 2009 when the league kind of became more official up until about 16, 17 was just, it was every year was getting better and better with more people. So you were having attendance averages of in the thousands. And I think the Mung Tong average fan attendance in 2018 and 17 was around six, 7,000. One, you know, really strong numbers. Since then, of course, we had 
the COVID thing and uh, it hasn't come back. And and this to me is a bit of a worry. It, the only club that's been able to bring their attendance back above pre-COVID levels is Bury Ram. All the other clubs, if you compare 2018-19 attendance to the current year's attendance, it's well down. Nobody's come back to where it was before. And I'm and that's a worry. And I ask my Thai friends and Thai people I know, why don't you support Thai football because they love football. There's a great love for football in this country, but they won't support the Thai clubs. They'll support Manchester United. They'll make a decision to go and watch Man U or Liverpool play rather than go to see their local club. And I've asked them, why don't you go? And they'll say, well, you know, they have this perception that it's all kind of a foregone conclusion. You already know which teams are going to win. You already know which teams are going to lose. There's corruption. What's the point? And I think that's a perception thing that the league needs to address and deal with and, and start showing Thai folks that, hey, there's quality here. There's some good quality players. And Thailand has the potential to be a footballing nation. It really does. It just needs the support from the population, but it also needs the support, of course, from the FA and, and government too. So yeah, I, I do feel that it's plateaued and... I'm not seeing the numbers come back significantly like I, I hope they would. And I'm worried that they won't until the league starts to address this perception problem. What are you doing at Mung Tong United to try and encourage the fans to come to the stadiums? Is there, is there a big advertising budget that you have in order to try and attract people? Or, you know, how, how do you get the word out there? How do you promote games and the club? I wish I wish there was a big advertising budget, but no, there isn't. But, uh, but yeah, we definitely try to, I mean, we try to be a community football club and uh, we have a good relationship with our with our fan club and we do a lot of community-based work we bring schools into games we we bring in different foundations into games we go out to schools and do clinics so we do everything we can to show the community hey we are part of you you're part of us and we can be strong together um we had a long time fan long time fan like i think she was a fan going back to before 2009 and she came down with cancer and hadn't been able to go to games She'd gone to every single game, but then all of a sudden, you know, she wasn't going. And then we found out about it at the club. And, we, and so we reached out to her and we said, look, we hear you're not well. Here's a couple of tickets. Actually, we'll put you in a VIP box. We want you to come back and enjoy a game. Like those kinds of things we try to do to build up a, a fan base and a relationship. That's what we do and and uh, try to tell the stories and and make it like a family, you know. And, uh, and so we do feel that we've got a, a pretty core, good support of fans, but it's hard to grow that. That all sounds very positive. And I think that's the way forward, isn't it? I think that's what clubs need to do. They need to foster these relationships within the community. I think one of the big issues that, that Thailand faced in the past was the amount of clubs that used to move around. That doesn't happen as frequently now. And I think that's that's got to be a, a positive thing as well, hasn't it? I agree. I agree. The the uh, the FA made of some key changes in, in uh, I think it was about 2015, 16, 17, around club licensing. And, and it became much more professional. And so it was harder for a club to just suddenly open up and close down because there were all these regulations requirements that you had to meet in order to do that. Uh, and so I think that helped make the game a little more professional and, and to stop that. So, so you know, again, some good things 
things that the FA has done, but um, the, the, the key thing I would really like to see the FA do, as well as the perception issue, is just, you know, we have, I mean, what's the population of Thailand? I think it's about 72 million people, right? So we have enough people here to be a footballing nation, but what we don't have is the, the grassroots kind of infrastructure to make it work. And the English FA has done a fantastic job of this, and they've got a, a very well thought out and planned and funded grassroots program, and you can see the result of that with the national team. But here, you just don't have it. And I've traveled around the country, I've gone to rural areas, and I can always find a, you know, a, a little grass patch somewhere and a bunch of kids playing some kind of makeshift ball on some kind of makeshift field. Like the passion is there, the love of the game is there, but there's no systemic way of building up that talent and finding that talent as there is in, in other nations. And so that commitment is what's needed from the FA. And that means that means money, of course, but it means like the you know the head of the FA has to be somebody who's interested in the entire the development of football in the entire country. And we don't have that. Well we've got elections coming up shortly. So maybe that'll change. Are are you quite hopeful that this will herald in a new dawn? Not really, because uh, the the head of the FA I mean it's a standing rule. The, the head of the FA should never be someone connected to a football club. Should not be. There's an immediate uh, conflict of interest with that. And it doesn't matter if you say, well, I'm going to get my two cousins to run the club. I'm going to step. That doesn't work. I mean, who really believes that there's any any uh, viability in that? If you look at the, again, look at England. Uh, who is the, the head of the FA there, right? Debbie Hewitt. She's got nothing to do with football. She doesn't own a club. Yeah, she's a fan of Liverpool, but that's where it ends. She has an MBA. She's a professional business a management person before running the english fa she ran a restaurant chain she's worked for volvo she's worked for visa in europe and she's bringing her business expertise and management skills to the fa and that's kind of what you need but when you put into the the leader of the fa also happens to run a football club there's a bias there and they don't necessarily have the credentials and the experience and the perspective to to do the job that they really should be doing and it certainly doesn't help with the perception of corruption as well does it um i I don't really know what the solution is because it it does seem like the lady in question will be elected as the new head of the fa it does seem a bit of a foregone conclusion and to her credit and to the, the current head's credit i do believe their intentions like they would like to do well they would love to see thailand qualify for the world cup one day i do believe that but it would be easier to achieve that if you also stepped aside and would let someone with the right credentials run the show that's what's needed really and so there's a political will there that's going to be required but it requires funding too and that's another that's another side of it and how do we get the balance right I mean, in, in my time supporting Thai football, the, the national team has always been the priority. And that's still the case. You know, we, we get these occasions when there are breaks in the league, which you can understand for the current tournament that's on. I totally get that and I'm totally behind it. But they do seem to be the priority. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier about how do we develop the league? What would you suggest would be a good way to do the two things in parallel so that both the league system, the grassroots level, the coaching, the academies improve and also the national team? As in England, it would it would one would naturally give way to the other. If you have a very well-developed grassroots system and you're developing talent, that's going to feed itself into the into the local clubs and into the eventually into the professional leagues. It's going to raise the level of Thai football and at the same time that's going to raise the level of the national team we also have the question of uh, like mungtong is 
very much supportive of the national team. So we we've given up many of our players to go and play uh, outside of Thailand so that they would develop so that they would then, you know, come back and be stronger for the national team. That's their that's their vision. But what's needed is like a, a strong cohort of players with talent and skill coming up from the grassroots level to fill the gap when we do lose these talented players. So I do believe that when you build up a strong grassroots system and you develop talent across the country, you're going to be able to build the league and you're going to be able to build the national team at the same time. It's obviously something you feel very passionately about. And I think you're not alone there. I mean, there there are a lot of us out here who feel the same way. And it it does get frustrating, doesn't it, at times? It does, for sure. But I try to take the the long view. And as we we said at at the top of this, yeah, Thai football has improved remarkably when you when you go back when i go back to 2014 boys it improved and then if you've been in the game even longer than that you can definitely see wow what a difference it is so if we project that into the future okay maybe things are going to be fine but it does take a long time that's the that's the worry so can we end on an optimistic note Stephen? what what are your hopes for the future for thai football where will we be at 10 years from now, do you think? Or where would you like to see us 10 years from now? I do believe that the the core, that the love of football in the country is is very strong uh, at all levels, at the top political level and at the at the at the local community level there's a love of the game and there's a desire for ties to do well in football and i think that's going to win out and i think the changes will come that need to come it's just going to take time and it's going to take people like yourself you know talking about this and and uh, and talking to ties and thai people talking about this it's going to take time but i do believe we'll get there it's just going to be a process and uh it might be 10 15 years i was hoping okay that what was it the 2032 world cup I was thinking maybe no, but no, Thailand can't make that one. So it might be a while before we get there, but I do believe it's we are going to get there. That's a great place to end it on a very positive note. So thank you very much for taking the time to come on and chat, Stephen. And thanks for everything you do at Montong as well. I think it's an important role that you fulfil there. And also in liaising with the club as well. I think that's important that they recognise there is a market and they're willing to give someone like you the chance to, to work at the club to spread the word. It's it's great and I, I just hope more clubs do that in the future I think it's it is one of the ways we can achieve some of the aims we've just talked about so thank you I would agree thanks Dale and also you know the podcast that you've put together is is uh, I'm really happy to see that this has come out because uh, and I'm telling everybody I know about it because the more people who are thinking about this and having their voices heard uh, the more it becomes a, a reality that we things will get better so thanks for that well, I have to say, Stephen, thanks ever so much for coming on the show. What a fantastic insight that is. And I couldn't agree more about having the right people in the right positions, in the right job. And I, I so enjoyed it. I really did. But he's, he's a fascinating bloke, Stephen. I've been wanting to get him on for a while now. So it was it was great that we could find a slot that we were both free to, to talk. Obviously, you know, being involved at the club, he, he does have those insights that, you know, many of us aren't privy to. So he's got a little bit of a... a inside track there obviously a lot of things he couldn't discuss um but yeah it was it was a fascinating interview wasn't it he speaks a lot of sense Stephen I think he certainly doesn't I do tend to agree with him about the attendances plateauing I have to say we're going to find other ways or just accept where we are invest in invest in youth football and get some decent pitches from a play on please yeah as, as regards attendances I think you're right I think that this is it I don't I don't think we're ever going to go back to those days aren't we where you know we're going to get massive crowds again 
I just don't think there's the interest there. That was pretty much a one-off. But it would be nice, wouldn't it, for clubs to try and attract more people. And as he was saying, you know, they, they do a lot in the community. I noticed they had trials this weekend. Uh, so that's, that is definitely the way forward. And, you know, they're not on their own. Other clubs do this. That's that's what we've got to do, I think. It will sound unpopular with those who know that I've got sort of uh, orange and blue allegiances. But I love going to Montong. I think they are a proper football club. And we, we need a strong Montong. We need as many strong clubs as we can. And I do think that's the right way to go about it. And it's promising to see so many youngsters coming through and getting an opportunity. Don't get me wrong, there are some good overseas players, but especially as you go down the leagues, there's so many mercenaries. Start investing in youth and bringing them through so they get an opportunity. Hear, hear to that. Couldn't agree more. Anyway, that's that's quite a positive note on which to end it. Started quite negatively when I found out the result. I'm surprised I've been able to keep going, actually, Rob. To be fair, after watching Oldham on Saturday, nothing could get as bad as that. That was dreadful. Just dire. Dale, you're the same as me. You've been fed up on a diet of watching crap teams with just a little, a little glimmer of success to keep you going. I, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, for the next few months, what with Cesar on a run and, and Port still challenging. It, it's completely alien to me. And Scarborough are in the playoffs. Oh, dearie me, I don't know. I'll cope if they all uh, do well at the end of the year. Be going for prescription drugs, I, suspe- I suspect. Enjoy it, Rob. Enjoy it while it lasts, because as we... As we all know, these these things don't come around very often for many of us. So make the most of it. Right. So that's it for this week. Disappointing to start with national team being knocked out of the AFC Asian Cup. But it's been a great show. So thanks to Mark. Thanks to Stephen. And thanks to you all for listening. And hopefully get out, watch a couple of games over the coming weeks. And at least one thing now is T1's going to start on time, isn't it? The second leg, without the worry of the national team going all the way to the final. I was just going to add that as your final piece to have a smile. We're not going to have people moaning about fixture backlogs and it'll be coming again soon. Get out, folks. Have a good weekend and enjoy your football. (laughs) 